Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. We will continue our studies in Peter at a later date. But Peter said to be sober and be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 20. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful. Begin every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. Let's pray. Dear God, we're already so humbled by the hymns and psalms that we sang. Lord, how unworthy we are in ourselves to approach the throne of God, and yet Christ has made us worthy through His righteousness and His sacrifice and His blood. Lord, we are truly debtors to Your grace. Father, I pray that You would help us this morning as we prepare to listen to the Word of God. Help us, Lord, that we might pay heed to what the Spirit saith unto this church. Lord, that Satan would walk about seeking whom he may devour, and that walking even entails walking close to even your chosen, hiding amongst the elect. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Help us, God, this morning, we pray. Expose our adversary. Make us more wise and astute to his devices. Lord, we pray that you would keep us like the psalm said in Psalm 12. Keep us safe from him who would ensnare us. Grant us your mercy and your grace, for we trust in thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In light of the Lord's Supper and as well as our text in First Peter, I wish this morning to look at this text in hopes that we might learn more why Peter encourages us to be sober and to be vigilant, because our adversary, the devil, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. My short lifetime in this present world surely makes me no expert concerning our great adversary, who has been incessantly walking about for centuries seeking whom he may devour. For we are of ourselves, dearly beloved, no match against this great adversary and his evil devices. As Martin Luther so wonderfully put in his hymn, did we in our own strength confide our striving 
would be losing. Yet, beloved, the right man is on our side, the man of God's own choosing, and he must win the battle. We live in a day and age of Christianity today where one would believe the Christians don't believe they have an adversary. The arrogance and pridefulness and self-confidence of many Christians in their theological and doctrinal understanding, they think that they can outwit him who's been walking about for centuries, deceiving greater men than ourselves. We must not fear Satan, yet we must be sober and vigilant, the Scriptures declare. For if we did try in our own strengths to confront him, we would surely fail as often as we have in the past. We wage this spiritual warfare not for fear of losing, but from a divine assurance of certain victory. For the divine promises in God's Word are sure that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church that Christ builds, and that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And that God, the God of peace, shall bruise Satan under our feet shortly. We have such divine promises. So we wage not this warfare in fear of losing, but in certain victory in Christ. And yet, despite those promises, they deter not or hinder our great adversary from walking about, seeking whom he may devour, for he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Satan has no regards to the promises of God. Satan knows his end is sure, and yet he does not stop walking about seeking whom he may devour. For still, Luther goes on to say, for still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. Our adversary is true and real, deceptive, deceiving. And he's got one goal, and that's destruction of men's souls and the pain and woe of God's children. Therefore, listen to the words of Scripture. Therefore, let us be strong, not in ourselves, but in the Lord. Listen to that. Be strong, Paul says in Ephesians 6, in the Lord. Why must we be strong in the Lord? Because our adversary is great. We must draw strength from the Lord, not from ourselves. And in the power of his might, a twofold exhortation concerning the Lord and his power and his might. Because our adversary is great, and yet this generation appears to not fear such an adversary. Why must we be strong in the Lord and the power of the might of his might? That we, Paul goes on to say, might put on the whole armor of God, which alone will enable us to stand against the wiles of the devil. I won't get ahead of myself, but everywhere Scripture speaks of the Christian in his confrontation against this great adversary, it never speaks of conquering him or overcoming him, but simply withstanding him, resisting him. Why? Because he's a defeated foe. It's not ours to conquer him. We can't. Christ already did. Our job, our responsibility, our obligation, our duty is to stand 
against the wiles of the devil. To resist him steadfast in the faith. Why? Because he's a defeated foe in Christ. Yet still needs to be resisted steadfast in the faith. It's hard for some people to put those two together. If he's a conquered foe, why do we have to resist? Because he still seeks our woe. Refer to Scripture and the many saints of God who has fallen under his deceptions and the pain and agony he's caused. And you'll understand and realize why. And it is in our text this morning that we see some of the most amazing yet humbling truths concerning our great adversary, ourselves, and Christ. Why must we be sober and vigilant? I believe Peter, when he wrote this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was also going back to this evening when Satan would dine at the table with the saints. Matthew 26, in verse 20. Now when the even was come, listen to this, he sat down, Christ, with the twelve. Do you ever consider that verse? He didn't sit down with eleven. He sat down with the twelve. In the upper chamber, separated from the world, Alone in intimate personal fellowship with disciples, Christ sit downs at the table with Satan. That Christ would sit and eat with sinners, Luke 15, fills our hearts with great wonder and praise. The Pharisees murmured that he sat with sinners and ate with publicans. That fills our hearts with wonder and praise and thankfulness that Christ would condescend and sit at the table with sinners. But that He would sit and dine with a devil confounds and baffles our greatest imagination. Why would Christ allow Him access into this inner circle of His disciples and even sit and dine with the devil? Are there some here this morning? Very solemn thought. As we gather around the table, are there some or one here this morning like that of Judas that is dining with the saints and yet is a devil? It's a very humbling thought. Why would Christ allow him into this inner circle? How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. That a devil would be allowed access into such close and intimate fellowship with Christ and his disciples, beloved, is an overwhelming thought. And yet one I believe Peter was thinking about when he said, be sober, be vigilant. Because this deceiver even entered into our midst, unbeknownst by all eleven disciples. There was only one in that room that knew Judas was a devil, and that was Christ. All others did not know Judas was a devil. And I'm wondering, Peter was writing First Peter, that when he wrote those words to be sober and be vigilant for, this, for the Satan walketh about as a roaring lion, I wonder if he, his thoughts went back to that night and remembering that Judas sat at the same table 
with the Lord as the other disciples, and no one knew he was a devil. That Satan would be allowed to access or allowed access into such close and intimate fellowship with Christ and his disciples is an overwhelming thought. Yet an even more astounding truth is that none except Christ were aware of his presence. And yet that's not unusual. As Satan was in the midst of paradise. Paradise, mind you. So Judas was in the midst of the disciples. Yet neither were aware of his presence nor the wiser of his evil intentions. They gather around the table to eat and Judas sits down amongst them and none of the disciples were aware that he was a devil nor of his evil intentions, only Christ. You still think you're wise enough to know his devices? You still think you're smart enough to match up with this adversary? You still think that he's someone that we don't need to be vigilant about? You still think that he's no threat? Judas would live in very close company with Christ and his disciples for approximately three years, unbeknownst and undetected. That's a very humbling thought, if you think about it. Three years, you'd think you'd get to know somebody in close, intimate fellowship as the disciples were with Christ. You'd think you'd come to know somebody. And yet none of the disciples knew or aware of his evil intentions. Judas was even entrusted with holding the bag. Some say he was money-hungry, greedy, but he was trusted with holding the bag. And money did drive him. Greed did drive him. But he was given a position amongst the disciples. He was given the same privileges and gifts as the disciples. That is amazing. He preached. And I believe to some degree the Bible doesn't deny it, but I believe he also healed as the disciples did. He was given gifts and privileges as the disciples. He looked just like one of the disciples. You still think that you're wise enough to know his devices? You still think we are smart enough to know his wicked, evil intentions? Be sober, Peter said. Be vigilant. Be on guard, be awake, be watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, walketh about. Walketh whereabout? Oftentimes, not outside the church, but in the church. Is there one amongst us this morning, sobering thought? Even at one point, though his true intentions were evil and selfish, he appeared to be very benevolent when she was pouring this ointment on Christ. And Judas says, ah, that could have been sold and given to the poor. His intentions were evil and selfish, 
but he appeared to be benevolent. Oh, look how he cares for the poor. Oh, Satan can imitate the greatest works of benevolence and goodness. He's a deceiver, a deceptor. He walketh about unbeknownst, undetected. That's our adversary. And yet Christians live so flippantly today as though there's no adversary to make them or cause them to stumble. Again, this morning on the Internet, Christians quoting passages of Scripture and then suddenly posting something that is very wicked and evil and unchristian-like. It's like they're not even aware that Satan takes advantages of that. They almost mock and laugh at sin. They do things that they should not do as Christians. They go places they should not go. They see things and look at things they should not see and look at. They laugh at things they should not laugh at. And yet, all the time, thinking there's no problem here, there's no trouble here. I'm a Christian. I have theological knowledge. I know the doctrine of grace. I know the sovereignty of God. And therefore, it doesn't matter if I dabble or play or pretend sin is no harm. Satan uses those things, and yet Christians are unaware of it. Be sober, be vigilant, Peter would say. You know what's even more amazing about this? which proves the ignorance of us, of sinful man, the ignorance of our own hearts and the sluggishness not to listen to the Word of God. Christ even Himself exposed Him as a devil. He said, have I not chosen you twelve and one of you is a devil in John chapter 6? He told them, I've chosen you twelve and one is a devil. You know, none of the disciples ever responded to that. You'd think someone would say, what? Who's the devil? Not one of them ever responded to that. And the Lord told them boldly, clearly, I've chose you twelve, and one of you is a devil. And as he who betrayed him, in John chapter 13, he said, I'll tell you who's going to betray me. He told them they're going to betray him. They still didn't pay attention to it. They still didn't listen to it. It's amazing how just a little bit of a religious or scriptural knowledge tends to, if we're not careful, feed the pride of man. And we just can't understand that success amongst many preachers today, has been their downfall. Can you imagine Paul living like many proclaimed and well-known preachers today, living in a million-dollar home and traveling first class to conferences and getting paid high bid? Can you imagine Paul ever doing anything like that? And you think that they're not susceptible to the sin of greed and pride and arrogance? Do you not know the, the, the sinfulness of man's heart? And yet we have that abundantly today. Their success has built their heads up. They're the greatest of preachers. You don't think Satan would play on that? Do you don't think Satan does play on that? We quote men today on Facebook and on the Internet as though they were gods. That what they preach and what they say, oh, that's just, that's holy writ. Are we so deceived not to understand that Satan plays on such things? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God does not and has not and will not use men of success. But I believe if God grants a preacher success, he must be of all men most humble. 
lest he be lifted up with pride. That's not just a warning to the novice. It's a warning to any man who knows his heart. But just imagine, just think, we all have contact or we see things, we speak to other people, we're on the internet. Look at the arrogancy and pride of a lot of Christians. They speak as though there's no adversary to be fought against. Be sober, be vigilant. Why, Peter? Because there was a devil in our midst and we didn't even know it. What a very humbling and yet divine truth. That though a devil was in their very midst, none of the disciples were aware of his presence, nor his wicked and evil intentions. Even though Christ himself did not hide such a thing from them. Christ didn't hide him. And they still did not comprehend. They still did not understand Maybe now we understand why Peter's saying, be sober, be vigilant. Because we were not. Beloved, we are so, in many cases, so naive and gullible to believe we are experts in our spiritual conflict with such a great adversary. The tares are sown amongst the wheat while men slept. Remember? Remember? The tares were sown while men slept. The problem of it was that once they were sown, Christ said the men were not able nor wise enough to gather them up. Shall we gather the tares up? The Lord said, no, leave them alone because you'll end up hurting the wheat. You see how ignorant and gullible we are? We sleep. We're, in, we're complacent. We don't pay attention. We're not sober. We're not vigilant. The tares are sown amongst the wheat, and then we go and try to gather them up, and we end up hurting the wheat. I'm telling you, that's happened all over churches nowadays. Well, the wheat are being hurt because people think they can tear or gather the tares up. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because our adversary, the devil, walketh about, even in your own midst, even amongst the elect. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? I dare say, dear beloved, over the course of 40 years, as a believer, that I've crossed the paths of many Judases the majority of whom I humbly confess I was probably unaware of. But there's a few in hindsight that made me question. People who appeared to be very religious, very loving of God and Scripture. He said, no, Satan can't do that. Satan didn't detest Scripture when he was tempting Christ, but he used it. You want to meet a theologian? A good theologian? Better than we are? Satan's a great theologian. And yet we believe in our short years that we live in this life, if God is gracious, he gives us 70, the scripture says, maybe even more. We think in those short span, lifespan, that we gain enough knowledge to defeat an adversary, an ancient foe, Luther calls, that's been around for centuries. We are of the most men, most gullible and naive. 
Second <clears throat> Corinthians, Paul said this, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. We read that verse last week. Lest Satan should get an advantage of this. First Corinthians 11, just listen, this is what he said. These are just some scriptures concerning Satan's devices. First Corinthians 11, Paul said, By the fear, lest by any means, as a serpent beguiled Eve through subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted by the simplicity that is in Christ. <clears throat> again, Satan working subtly, he says. First Corinthians 11, again, Paul says, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Second Timothy 2, Paul says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. That's how we should approach anyone and everyone who doesn't acknowledge the truth, with meekness. Instructing those, not with wrath and vengeance, belittling, condemning. Why? and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. That's where this ignorance comes from, Paul says. From the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Subtly, Satan's deceiving, snaring people. Again, Second Corinthians 4. Paul said, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. That's an amazing statement, that the God of this world has blinded their minds. Paul even says, and this is the most solemn truth, Satan's ministers are also transformed as the ministers of righteousness. Preachers. If you consider that verse, it makes you wonder and think and contemplate how many how many pulpits are filled with Satan, who are ministers of righteousness. Oh, they're they're not standing up there saying I'm of Satan. They're ministers of righteousness. Do you still believe we have to do with an easy adversary, one which we are of ourselves capable of overcoming, even detecting? You see now why Peter's saying, be sober and vigilant. Peter's thinking back to that night when Satan sat at their table and none of them were aware of him. Even though Christ had plainly told him. Yet, like I said earlier, it is not ours to conquer or overcome for he is already a conquered foe because of Christ. That's why we're exhorted and commanded to withstand steadfast. Resist steadfast in the faith because he's conquered. But that doesn't mean he cannot cause us woe. You know, Paul talks about, in Ephesians 6, the armor of God, he talks about the uh, shield of faith that we might ward off the fiery darts. Uh, let me tell you something. You don't have to be saved long. I mean, truly saved long and love Christ 
to know something about the sting of a fiery dart of Satan because uh, Satan hates us because we have grace in us. He hates us not for ourselves. He hates us for Christ's sake. You put on the whole armor, but you know that armor is no good if we're not strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Like I've said before, the armor is only as good as the heart of the soldier who wears it. If in our hearts and our minds we're not determined that the battle is ours, we can't use the armor no matter how much we put it on. You've got to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. This is the whole purpose that Peter is saying, be sober, be vigilant. Resist steadfast in the faith. Knowing that your brethren, for though his disciples were unaware of a devil in their midst, Christ, who sovereignly ordained and permitted his presence, was not. And this is what really is amazing. Now, I've heard over the years countless debates on whether Judas partook or not. I'm persuaded Scripture leans towards him taking it. I know some people say that's blasphemy, but I'm telling you, if you look at Luke, it gives you an idea that he did. You say, how could Christ allow that to happen? I'm telling you, there are more and more people who have sat at the Lord's table who have not been truly Christ's disciples who have partaken. It's not an impossible thing. And that leaves open for debate. But why would Christ allow him acceptance into this inner circle. So this devil, who was ignorant and unaware of Christ's divine purpose and plan, would be used as a puppet on a string to help initiate the great salvation Christ would bring his chosen. You see, uh, though Satan was unbeknownst to disciples, he wasn't to Christ. There was a reason for him being there. There was a reason Christ sovereignly, providentially permitted Satan to be in the midst, in that inner circle. There was a reason for him to be there. One that even Satan didn't know himself. In fact, what Satan had thought he devised to be the fall and ruin of Christ would turn out to be his own fall and ruin. Do you know that? Satan is not all wise. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He doesn't know all things like Christ does, like God does. He doesn't know all those things. Satan thought this was a perfect plan, a perfect plan to set up Christ, to get rid of him, the whole seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Yet he didn't know that he was going to be sovereignly, providentially <laughs> permitted to play a part in that. And this is what is so great about our text. This is why we can be sober and vigilant. And I don't have time this morning to get into it, but I want to. Christ permitted this to happen. In fact, Christ said, you're going to betray me. Even later on in the Scriptures, he said, go do what you have to do. He wasn't even permitted to leave until Christ said, okay, you can go do it. Go do what I've ordained you to do. Go betray me. Go betray me into the hand of sinners. You think you're going to ruin me, but it's going to turn out to be your woe. What happens to Judas later on? Judas repents, but not because he's sad of his sins. He repents for the simple fact he got caught. And he can't even hang himself right, because as soon as he tries, the tree breaks, he falls down, his body splatters. And the book of Acts says he goes to his own place, his own place of destruction and torment, his own place because he was a devil. And Christ even said it's better that that man was never born and to betray Christ. 
And I'm telling you, there's people down through the ages who have committed the same sin as Judas. They've sat at the table, they've sat in church, and they've betrayed Christ, and they received the greater condemnation for rejecting Christ. You see, even though Christ sovereignly permitted this to happen, He still gives Judas the fault. It's better that you were never born. It's amazing how God does that. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? A very sobering thought. Master, is it I? You know, I don't know about every Christian, but I believe for many Christians, sometime in your life, in your efforts to draw closer to Christ and wrestling with not only God's goodness and grace, but your own depravity and sin, and in many ways, and maybe often, we felt like a Judas. Have I betrayed Christ? There's nothing wrong with that kind of self-examination. In fact, there's everything good about that kind of self-examination. Know you not that you in Christ examine yourselves? Know you not that Christ is in you lest you be reprobates? There's nothing wrong with that examination. There's been times in my life I've oftentimes felt like Peter, denying my Lord. There's nothing wrong with that kind of self-examination. You know what the strange thing is about this? When Satan tries to use us to tempt us to a point, Christ stood up and he rebuked Satan through Peter. When Peter said, you're not going to do that, he rebuked Satan. He said, get me behind me. But here in this instance, he lets Satan have his sway. He allows Satan to do his worst. But in his own children, he will not. What a comfort that is. I'm getting ahead of myself. But you know what? It was a great, amazing act of grace for Christ to stand up and rebuke Peter. Do you know that? Do you know that was an amazing act of grace? Because if Christ would have let Satan have his way, Peter would have been in bad shape. Christ rebukes Satan. He doesn't speak directly to Peter. He does to Satan. Satan, get thee behind me. None shall touch his elect. So it was an act of grace that Christ helped Peter. Otherwise, Satan would have had his way with Peter. And that is evidenced later on when he said Satan again desires to have you. I wonder if Satan desired to have Peter because he didn't get him the first time. <gasps> Why Peter again? Oh, I was rebuked by Christ. I was commanded to get behind him. Oh, I'll get this, Peter. Satan has desired. He's asked. He's asked permission to sift you as wheat. This time I'm going to let him. Isn't it amazing? But I prayed for your faith, and after you've been strengthened or converted, strengthen your brethren. Isn't it amazing how even when Satan tries to make us fall to the deepest, Christ picks us up and enables us to stand in the midst of all that. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus our Lord. What a wonderful Savior is Christ. Those that afflict you afflict the apple of my eye said the Old Testament. You know what the apple of the eye is? It's the most sensitive part of your body. 
Christ says, I'm so sensitive about people and things and foes afflicting you that it's like they touch the apple of your eye. When you're afflicted, I'm afflicted. What an amazing, wonderful, glorious God we have in Christ. We see this here. So Peter, when he's writing, he's looking back. I'm, I know, I'm assured he's looking back to that evening saying, be sober, be vigilant, because Satan dined at our table and I didn't even know it. Yet Christ did. And he permitted that to happen. He permitted that to happen. Oh, the wisdom and judgments of God, how unsearchable are they all that God would use such things. And in our partaking of the Lord's Supper, even on that night, we do it remembrance of Christ's death till he come, is what he said. Whereby each time this ordinance is observed, it is a divine declaration of Christ triumphing over our great adversary. Every time we partake of this ordinance, it's not only a testimony to the world that we remember Christ till he comes, but I believe it's a divine declaration to our great adversary that no matter what you do, the God of peace shall one day allow us to stand on Satan's head, defeat our foes, forever and eternity because of what Christ did. We thank God for that. And yet still, God would have us to be sober and be vigilant. Even when Christ let Judas go and he went out, the disciples still didn't know. They thought he was going to get things for the Passover. Oh, our ignorance is great when it comes to this adversary. That's why we must be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We must put on the whole armor of God. We must be sober and vigilant, not out of fear for losing, but out of an assurance of certain victory. May God grant us grace to resist him steadfast in the face, to be sober and to be vigilant. Amen. Such is the Christian life in this world. I pray that God would enable each and every one of us this morning to search our own hearts. And may we take the exhortations of Scripture uh, seriously. And may we heed the exhortations of Peter and exercise them in our own hearts and minds to be sober, to be vigilant. For our adversary, the devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We do not enter into this spiritual conflict reluctantly, nor are we constrained to do so. We do so because we have uh, the blood of Christ running through our veins. And it is a good fight. It is a good warfare. May God give us grace. We raised a generation of pampering Christians who have so much problem with their own hearts and their own flesh, they could never stand up to Satan. They murmur and complain and whine about things. How could they ever stand up against an adversary? We live in a pampered Christian age. They're spoiled rotten. And they fall down. They grow weak over the slightest afflictions and tribulations and troubles and problems. How in the world are you going to stand up against this great adversary when you can't even stand up to yourself? God give us grace. I like what Paul said. Quit you like men. Stand up. Be soldiers for Christ. Amen? Listen to the Word of God. 
Put on the whole armor of God. This is the fight. This is the warfare, and it's serious. Rise up, ye men of God. Amen? Let tents of ease be left behind. And onward to the fro. Salvation's helmet on our head. Wonderful. Wonderful. May God give us grace to heed the exhortations of Scripture. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now, Lord, that you'd help us this morning as we gather around your table, not only to be reminded that, Father, when we partake of the supper, Lord, it's a declaration of Christ's triumph over the grave, over sin, over Satan. Lord, we thank you for that. But yet, Lord, I pray that it also excite our hearts to be sober and vigilant, for we're still in this present world, a world that lieth in wickedness, a fallen world. Oh, God, I pray that, Lord, you'd help us to be vigilant and sober, ever to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Help us to put on the whole armor of God that we might stand against the wiles of the devil because, Father, they are there. And though we have the promise the gates of hell shall not prevail against Christ's church, Lord, it shall still seek to prevail. Father, we pray that, God, you'd help us. We love you and we thank you for all things and pray that, Lord, You've equipped us even more today for this battle. Help us, Lord God, to go out into this world this week. Help us to be reminded that we live in a world that lieth in wickedness, a world of sin, a fallen world where Satan is the god of this world. Help us to be sober and to be vigilant. Lord, until you come, help us not to rest and sleep, that the tares might not be sown amongst the wheat. Father, we pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. Help us to keep ourselves in the love of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.